I'm Winita Silva. As a leadership strategist and executive coach, I've had the privilege of working with cutting-edge leaders from companies of all sizes and industries for over 20 years. Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations. I've created this podcast for two reasons. First, I've always wanted to share the wisdom and insights from my clients and other amazing people with everyone else. Also, during these unprecedented times, it's crystal clear how much leadership matters right now. This is a defining moment for leaders and for all of us. This podcast brings these two things together. I'm inviting you to listen in on transformative conversations where leaders share their journeys as they work through overcoming and thriving through adversity and change. Every episode, you will hear inspiring stories, insider tips, and practical ideas you can use to make a difference, whoever you are, wherever you are. One of the real hallmarks of the 21st century is just that the pace of change is extraordinary and organizations are hard to reinvent. And anytime you want to make change happen, this idea of like never waste a crisis is there are some things that are easier to do in moments of great disruption. My guest today is an incredible executive who works with organizations and their leaders to build reputations by helping them shape the conversations that matter to their industries and their businesses. She is a managing director at MSL, a global public relations and integrated communications firm where she leads the national corporate reputation practice, focusing on telling stories that shift perception internally and externally. She also oversees MSL's crisis response team. Prior to her time at MSL, she held positions at Edelman and DuPont and has worked with some incredible clients like PayPal, Deloitte, Regeneron, Gilead, and Booking Holdings. Kelly Jankowski, thank you for being on my show. Thank you so much, Winnie. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Kelly, I want to hear more about your story, but before we get started, tell us what it really means to lead a team that helps clients build their reputations. That to me sounds incredibly important, yet hard to do. Tell us briefly, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? That kind of is the story, actually. <laughs> um, so there, there are two pieces to it when you uh, frame it out that way. There's this piece of what we do for our clients that is about helping usually large organizations, but large growing organizations really understand what is the image they're putting out there in the world? How are they communicating their values? How are they articulating them? And how are they responding to the world around them? And that's not just words, but it's also the actions that they take, the statements they make, where they choose to use their corporate power and where they don't. The second piece is about leading a team and being part of a team. And I didn't necessarily set out when I chose my career to be in a leadership position, but it's actually been one of the most fun parts of what I get to do is help other people really be the best counselors that they can be for everything I just described. How do you enable other people to be better at the work than you are yourself? And that is one part motivation. It's sometimes teaching and it's a lot of helping people get the resources and remove the roadblocks to do really great work on behalf of our clients. It's interesting. I'm guessing that your ability to help clients with who they are 
culture, mission, vision helps you with leading the team (laughs) because I bet that's part of what you're doing with your own team. It's certainly what I try to do. I think when it comes to the leadership side of this, like everyone I have ever admired as a leader has a really strong sense of what they're doing and why. And I happen to be in a profession where I think of a lot of my job is helping organizations articulate what they are doing and why. And in some cases, helping them do it a little better. And in other cases, helping really get credit for the things that they do well that aren't always Hmm. seen. So it certainly carries over into my philosophy of how you build a team, because I I think that fundamentally, if you're going to get people going in a single direction, you got to give them some tools to get there and a vision to say, oh, I want to be there with you. I want to help us get there or not. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about a difficult leadership challenge that you've faced recently. Could you tell us a little bit about that challenge and what it was about? So I'm quite new to this job, right? So I've grown up in really wonderful organizations and have always gotten to have really fascinating roles helping organizations as a consultant. But when I started at MSL, really that was all new to me. And I think that this is something that when you are constantly challenged in your career and your life, like you're walking into new situations all the time. But this was one of those bigger moves. As I came to MSL, which also had some new leadership and Diana Lippman, our CEO, and really with this vision to reinvent what PR and communications can do in the world. That's lofty and specific at the same time. And so I walked in and my team was spread all across the country. A lot of people had been here in the organization for 20 or 30 years as leaders. And I was coming in without that same tenure and without a, a good understanding of where they had been. I was an outside candidate for this role. And the beginning of this leadership challenge is that Diana invited me into MSL because we had a lot of conversations about what does corporate reputation do in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I walked into a team where we, we were coming off of a very geographically based model. And the real challenge was how do you make this work in a national model where all of these leaders who have in some cases been very autonomous work together as a team with a really different scale and scope of vision? How do you take these people who, some of whom had been in the same organization as colleagues for 15 years and maybe had never met, and how do you help those people come together as a team that can do more together? And I had just really gotten through my first 90-day plan when COVID happened. And then not only was I dealing with a team, I was new to them and they were new to me, but then we were also all working in this very different environment. Mm-hmm. So did COVID make it better? Did it make it worse? What happened to you both in terms of your leadership in your team and, and your original goal? Yeah, I, I don't know if it made it better or worse, but it definitely made it different. Okay, right? <laughs> that's um, fair. The plan in the beginning and, this, and uh, the first 90 days that I was in this role, I lived on a plane and a train. When you are in a people business, connecting with people is so important, especially when you are in intense learning phase or in an intense innovation phase. Face-to-face contact and collaboration is just more important than ever. So I'm really thankful that I got those 130 days or whatever that I got pre-COVID because I got to meet most of my team. And I think that set us up 
for real success. And I got to get a lot of them to meet each other. And I think the biggest thing that we won from that is we all knew each other a little bit as people and we were willing to give each other the benefit of the doubt as we learned how to work together. Because working together is hard. And it's particularly hard for really experienced, brilliant professionals mm-hmm. because I, I, I think so. I've learned this lesson hard myself many times in my career is that you get confident in what you do and then you get comfortable in what you do. <laughs> and then it's really hard to know where the line between confident and comfortable slips over into complacent. And I, I, I feel that myself very much. So we were bringing these people together and we had to learn how to work together in ways that were not like bad group project style. The group projects are always terrible, especially <laughs> for high achieving students. That's the way the world works now because problems are too complex for one person to solve them on our own. We need collaboration. And then because we went from having seven offices to having hundreds of offices when everyone went home in every geography, I do think it made it much easier to get from that first level of collaboration to the next level of collaboration. Okay. Um, we were all on an even playing field. And we, we did a really good job of making leadership decisions and connecting at that level. And I think that part got much easier as it became clearer when we were bringing two people together where they were. But I also think it was much harder to get people comfortable in talking. And I do think one of the things that we've only just now started to, to figure out in COVID is we have a large age range and experience range in a consulting uh-huh. agency. And, and that whole range, I think we did a really good job at the very senior levels of building connectivity. I wish I had better learned how to support our our teams at a whole, especially those people who were living alone, because I think that beginning was really isolating for them. And from where I sat, there was a lot of camaraderie. But when we went from geographic models to national models, it took us a while to build up those systems to every level of the organization. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So going back to this leadership challenge, which is pretty big, given all that you had going in front of you around taking a new job, having not been there for very long, you're trying to bring the team together, getting to know the team. Tell us a little bit about how you've overcome this challenge. I'm sure that the challenge is ongoing, but what are some points at which you felt like you have made and are making progress uh, in this challenge? I think that when we all went to remote work, we all had a common challenge that was much bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it became easier for us to work as a team because everyone's life got disrupted. It's become so common to say, never waste a crisis. We were in this moment of incredible disruption. And so we, we made a choice. And I had a really strong group of senior leaders. And we made a choice to kind of get disrupted together. And it created this moment where even people who were really confident and maybe very comfortable in their ways were suddenly dealing with something new and we were all much more willing to listen to each other. And so I think it was a really different combination of how we turned to each other for advice. So it was much less, hey, we've got to do these things as a business. And, And there were many more moments of saying, wow, this thing's really hard and none of us have the answer. Let's all get on together and start to listen in a different way to figure out where we go from here. So one of the big breakthrough moments for me is I would say that the first 
the first really five to eight weeks of our national lockdown, I would spend three or four hours a week personally thinking about what questions I was going to ask my team and how. Wow, that's really um, interesting. And I don't know if they even know that I did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, they probably don't. But 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 it was a really it was both a way to get better information and advice and to learn to listen better. And it was also a way for us to figure out how do you learn from each other of things that we don't even know we're going to unlock. So I think there was a little bit of that kind of thinking of how do we learn from each other and get to the same place together. But I really believe that when you're trying to empower people, and that's really what you need to do when you're leading anything of scale, you have to empower people. One of the big things to be deliberate about is where do you seek advice? Where do you seed decision-making because some decisions are better made closer to the source. And where do you hold a firm line of, okay, I'm willing to consult, but this is the way we're going. And I thought really deliberately about those pieces of it. And I do think that it took us a little bit of time because everyone came from a different place and had different pressures. Looking across our leadership team and corporate reputation right now, I, I feel like we all understand each other's strengths a lot more and also have a much greater sense of mutual accountability because I mean at the end of the day we still run a business and the strategy might be do great work for our clients but we do still have to hit numbers and so I think we had a lot of education we all understood those goals in the same way and the strategy in the same way and now we're in this place where we can have a lot more flexibility in what are the different roles of how each of us are are contributing to that goal I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which is when I asked you, did COVID make it better or worse? And you just said it made it different. And you're able to articulate really well how some of those things made it different. In some ways, COVID level set it everybody because no one's done this before. We're all in this together. No one's expecting anyone to know the answers, which in some ways is freeing. But it sounds like you were inviting people to figure it out with you. Like you weren't saying, no, I'll figure it out and I'll come back. (laughs) I'll come back to you. I, I I think that's true. I also think there were some places where I was not inviting people, but I'm very direct in how I communicate. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned really early on from a couple of mentors and, and from working for several very good bosses and a couple of really terrible ones that the more you can be specific about goals and really open-ended about how you get there, mm-hmm. that's, what re- that's what most really specific smart people want to work in, right? You want to know where the goal line is and what it looks like. And then you want to have a lot of flexibility of how you do that. And I, I, I am working toward that all the time, but we had a lot of work to do as a new team. And I was really non-negotiable about the goals. And I continue to be really non-negotiable about the goals. But I think that now that we all have a lot more common understanding we're able to be much more flexible in how we get there and much more collaborative in how we share lessons about what's working. That's that's great. I also really love the mindset that you mentioned, which is never waste a crisis. Is that an industry phrase that is commonly tossed around? Or is that something you think of in your own experience? I don't know, actually. I've heard it so many times through my career, but I do two things in my job. One is I do a lot of crisis communication. It might be an art of crisis, but I also, because I do a lot of leadership positioning, 
I've gotten to hear and ask open-ended questions of a lot of leaders. And I think one of the real hallmarks of the 21st century is just that the pace of change is extraordinary and organizations are hard to reinvent. And anytime you want to make change happen, this idea of like never waste a crisis is like there are some things that are easier to do in moments of great disruption. I definitely heard it in my first job. And then I do feel like I hear it from someone else probably about once every year in a different context. And so it's part of the ether. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Transformative Leadership Conversations. And I'm your host, Winnie Da Silva. Let's get back now to our conversation with Kelly Jankowski, the Managing Director at MSL. I want to come back to your leadership challenge. And Mm -hmm. if you could give us some insights or or maybe there's some specific stories that you could share about learning moments or lessons that have helped you in times of difficulty, whether it was this particular leadership challenge or maybe it was other ones that you faced, what do you turn to? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I think about a lot of these things frequently because I think my style of learning is, 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 is about moments and storytelling. And so I have a couple of these stories that I, I like to observe how other people do it. If I had to rely on my own experience, I would not be, I, I wouldn't have very much. But if you can kind of absorb from everyone else what they're doing and take one thing away from it, it gives you this like incredible breadth of experience that can really be greater than your number of years. I have two real things that jump out to me though, two, two stories, if I, if okay. you'll indulge me. Good, um, yes, please. The first is I was about two years into my career and was working for just someone who just a, a very different from me, who's been an incredible mentor and a real sponsor for me throughout my entire career. And I would say that we're very much friends, but it's always been very professional. And I, I ran my first client call like by myself and I thought of everything. I was really nervous. I stayed up the night before. I had gone through everything. I had written the deck. I had done a timeline and we were on the call and a couple of questions came up and I said, oh, it's right here and it's here and it's here. And then and after the call, I had this moment alone with this mentor who was substantially ahead of me in my career. And he said, he's, can you close my door? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. And he said, you did great. I want to tell you something that you did because it's an easier lesson to learn now. He said, you were on the phone with the client and they asked you about things. And then you kept telling them how you had already thought of that. And he goes, and I understand that you wanted to do that because you wanted to look really prepared. And he said, you always need to leave something for a client to do because then it will feel like it was their plan. And what I took away from that, and I think about often in hard situations, is would I rather be effective or would I rather be right? And I almost always come down on the side of, I would rather be effective. And that was a skill I had to learn. I like to be right. (laughs) I don't always use this advice in my marriage, but, but I think about it a lot at work and I have to catch myself frequently. And I think that is a real, I, 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 I think about that maybe three or four times a week. It's incredible advice, especially as a consultant, but probably in just about any scenario that you're in where you're trying to get to a goal is would you rather be effective or would you rather be right? And it's just a nice way to pull out and reframe the situation and look at things with fresh eyes. 
Thank you for sharing that story. I want to hear the other one too, but I was just talking to a client today and that's one of the things he talked about is wanting to make the shift from the desire to be right to, to being effective. I think that's a universal uh, lesson that people go through. You were lucky that you had a mentor to help point that out to you early on. <laughs> we was lucky in a lot of ways there. <laughs> so, yeah. Part of that is when you're open to feedback, people give you really good feedback. And there's a lot of different ways to be open. And I, I, there's something to learn everywhere. And especially as you get more senior and more established, I wake up some days and I'm like, today I'm going to figure out what I needed to learn that I haven't yet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's a great, that's a great frame of, of looking at the day. Sometimes it works. <laughs> so sometimes I can use another reminder, right? Um, Very good. Uh, so there, I think that's one big thing that really shapes how I think about situations. The other is much more personal. But if I'm re- being really honest, it is one of the things that most shapes who I am right now, which is my first son was born with a fatal genetic illness. And, and that was hard, of course. So he passed away when he was a year old and he was really medically fragile his whole life. And he was just a wonderful kid. And I learned so much through that whole experience. I mean, that was not the point of it at all. I I learned as any first time parent does, as anyone who falls in love for the first time does, you learn so much about yourself as a parent just by having a child. But doing that in a context where we knew at eight weeks old that he was very unlikely to live past the age of two. And, and that was a situation where I, I, I was not a very empathetic person for most mm. of my life. Mm. I don't, emotions do not come naturally to me. And I think one of the things with William I learned mm-hmm. is when to not make a decision and when to make a decision when you have kids mm. and yes. you learn that really fast when you have a medically fragile child, when it's important to make a decision and when you just wait for more information to make one. And then the other big thing that I learned in that is I became connected with a really different community of people than I knew from my education and my work. I met people in these um, Facebook groups from all over the country, all different education levels, all different socioeconomic classes, all different races and backgrounds. And we had this thing in common that was much more profound than any of those things were, which is our children were sick with this same rare disease. It's called um, spinal muscular atrophy. And And we were all having the same experience. And I became incredibly, almost instantly, just incredibly empathetic to how privileged my experience of this disease, this horrible, awful, unfair disease was. Um, And it gave me a really different sense. It was a real wake up call for me of saying, I'm dealing with this with every resource in the world. And it gave me a whole different sense of what's hard for one person might not be hard for another person. And that, and that sometimes what's hard on one day might be really easy on a different day. <laughs> yeah. right? So it was this incredible um, personal wake-up call of what matters to me and what really mattered in the world and a sense of perspective. But it was also this incredible window into being able to understand really viscerally that a situation can always be harder and it can always be easier. And so you just make it work. 
I, I work in a people business now. Our success is so much about understanding people and helping everyone do the best that they can. And that I am a much better person. I'm also just a much better business person now with this reservoir of personal experience to draw from that I, I really boil down to an understanding of empathy. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story, Kelly. It was really a powerful story. It's interesting how you clearly see the connection between yourself and what you experienced with your child and how that affected you just as a person. Forget about anything else. And then yet you brought that person that experienced that tragedy and yet was changed from it to your work and how you interact with people. And this idea of empathy and perspective and how people experience different things in different ways at different times, that's a powerful lesson that it's hard to learn without maybe something having happened that forces you to look at things in a very different way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true for me. I don't think you always need to go through something like that. But I, I will say a couple of years ago, one of the big um, business themes was resilience or grit. Yeah. And those are different things, of course, but, but I think they're really closely related. I think you can have a lot of resilience without needing a lot of personal tragedy. But I think that a yeah. lot of people who have experienced something very hard and hard in a relative term, it, it does give you skills to look at situations in new ways and handle professional and personal challenges in, in really human ways. I think a lot about that right now. I've spent, I, I took today off, um, uh -huh. which, I, which I never, I never take a Wednesday off. And, um, right. and so I read a lot more today than I normally do. And the news is full of women dropping out of the workforce. Yes. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about how we support, we have a lot of working moms. We also have a lot of working dads at, at MSL. And I think a lot about how the support that each individual needs is so different. And sometimes sometimes people want more flexibility and sometimes they want less. And what, what I really want us to be, and I think we're doing it okay, but I think we can always be doing it better, is trying to understand what do you need as a person right now? And yeah. when I think about that for other people, I think a lot about my own experience of what I needed when my son was sick. And what I needed was very different than, for example, what my husband needed. When you feel like you were going through some of those changes as a result of living with your son and dealing with his illness and then him passing, do you feel like people at work notice some of the changes that you just told me about that were happening inside of you? I mean, I've always had very personal relationships with the people I work with. I think that yeah. some of that is personality. Some of it is the profession that I'm in. My husband and I made a choice at the beginning to be very open about what was happening in our personal life. And I always mm -hmm. wanted people to know, and I never really wanted them to bring it up. So, because <laughs> um, work was my escape. I wanted to be a professional at work. I wanted that inner sense of confidence from a job well done. There are clear wins at work, and sometimes there aren't at home. One of the things I think I would say is like my very, my first performance review after William had passed away, I came back guns a blazing. I was yeah, like, I had a slow career year and work was my escape when he'd passed away. And so I just like 
tore it up. And so I kind of came in and it was the very first time in my life I ever came into a review and I was like, I deserve a promotion and here's why. Because it was it was an outlet for me. And I was, again, working for wonderful people who were like, okay, yes, but also chill. Um, Yeah, right. Right. Both both respect what I was going through emotionally and and also treat me like a professional at the same time. And and that's that's right. Balance, right? Yes. Um, And then, but then the performance review that I got after that was with a brand new manager and Mm -hmm. he opened it by saying something that I'm really quite proud of. And he said, you're just, you're tough. And he meant it in the best way. We were not having the best quarter. (laughs) This was in a previous job. We were all trying to do something really hard. And it was both a statement of my character, but also it was a statement of how I led. Like I was not going to let up on the quality of work because it was hard, but it was also this sense of you're tough. And I, I, I think that is a little bit of what, what the experience with my son changed for me is it made me really willing to be tough. And in some ways it made me harder on people, but it also made me much more supportive of how you get mm. to that. Very good. So I would like to switch gears a little bit, although it touches on something you brought up, what's happening with women today, especially during COVID and the extra stressors they have in some fathers as well around the care load they're carrying right now with their kids being home and, and all that. For you personally, how has being a woman prepared you for this time of leadership? How has being a woman helped you in dealing with leadership challenges that you faced? Or has it? <laughs> you know, it's such an interesting question. Um, I'm I am of a generation. I, w- I went to an all girls high school, okay. and I am of a generation where I never felt like my gender was ever going to hold me back in any way. Yeah, um, I started a nonprofit for Duke University, but I thought a lot about purpose there, and I do I do think that being a woman gave me permission to lean into the business side of what I do. And so I remember being a successful woman in business as a bit of a get get out of jail free card for ambition. But beyond that, I don't think that much about gender. Or maybe that's not quite true. I think a lot about gender, but I don't think that it has affected me in a negative way ever. But I also have very deliberately crafted my life in a way that my husband's a really equal partner. And maybe maybe if I'm being honest, he really does 70%. And he certainly does more than 70% of the childcare right now because he's at home with our daughter and I'm working full time. And I, I, I think that my gender has prepared me to examine questions in a way of hey, what's the total amount of work and what's a fair split up. But I've never felt some of the traditional things that people talk about as a woman or people talked about. I think a lot of those things are real. But going back, I've always been on this incredibly privileged side of education and opportunity. And and I think that has so overwhelmed any negatives that I might have felt from being a woman. That's really an interesting perspective. I also want to tap into the role you play in overseeing the MSL's crisis response team. I'm assuming what that means, given your role and given MSL, you've had exposure to leaders of all stripes and of all industries who are in crisis uh, or dealing with a crisis. 
Could you share with us a couple of lessons learned or even stories or quotes or or things that stick out in your mind in terms of your observations in those experiences and with those leaders? Yeah. I think a crisis is, is a little bit of an evolving word, right? A lot of crisis yes. management right now, there's some things you don't want to be in the news for. And there is an element of what we do that's about how do you manage information around that to be able to address the root cause of the problem, but give some space for good leaders to work. And sometimes there's a crisis through a fault. And sometimes there's a crisis that's actually not the fault of leadership either. And so public opinion can be very fickle in that way. So a lot of what we do is helping sort out what space do you need to do the right thing? And how do you keep public opinion from preventing that? And sometimes what you do is managing information flow in a crisis, right? If you think about things like actual public health crises, like the one that we've gone through, there's a lot of really essential communication. And there are ways that you can do that make it easier for people to understand. I would say that when you think about acute moments of crisis, Mm -hmm. when you have leaders who know what they stand for, Mm -hmm. they're much easier. And a mm. lot of leaders are successful because they're great decision makers. And, and crisis requires decision making, mm. um, but it also requires questioning. And I think that one of the things that I have most often observed around leaders at every level of an organization in a moment of crisis is that the ones that I would love to emulate are the ones that know when it's a time to ask questions and know when it's a time to go with incomplete information. And I think that is, if you think about COVID, which like every organization now has this incredible trial by fire in crisis management of how they responded to COVID. Sometimes the best thing to say is we have not figured this out yet, but here's when we will come back to you. Leaders who are able to acknowledge what they know and what they don't know and to credibly make promises that they can deliver on are those who are really successful. Um, so trying to hide information until there's a complete picture or until how it turns out rarely works out well. But I think really open-ended statements of saying we don't know and we don't know when we'll know also rarely works out well. You need this really interesting mix of communicating certainty while acknowledging the unknowns. That's super powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, and it, and this is a little bit more art of counsel than it is like the official stance on this, but in a crisis, there's a lot of questions about, do you want to be effective or do you want to be right? Yeah. I've worked with some leaders and, and almost everyone starts from this point of, but we didn't do it wrong. Now, and in some crises, the reality is it doesn't matter. Where do you want to get to? And I think that often becomes a roadmap for, for the, the people who really lead well in crisis are people who can acknowledge the pain of sometimes being right and having things go wrong. And that is hard emotionally, but then can easily enough or quickly enough redirect a group into, great, but where are we going to get to from here? So you have to acknowledge that emotional piece first. These two things really capture what leaders need to be thinking about when they're in the middle of a crisis. In your experience, you have a chance to share with people you're working with some of these things because you're getting to observe but then they're also looking to you for guidance and counsel on how to move forward. Is that true? Sometimes. My very first boss said, sometimes you hire a consultant to come in, look at your own watch and tell you what time it is. So sometimes (laughs) you need an outside voice. 
to just help everyone listen in a different way. The other piece of this, though, is that there's a lot of confusion in, in a moment of crisis. And that sometimes what you need is to help someone just organize the information so that the right people can make a decision. I, I actually think that the consulting role in a lot of situations is really about repeating back with a new framework that allows people to, to use it in a different way. What you just described can be used even if you're not a consultant. If you're a leader in an organization, knowing the confusion needs to get organized and the information that you have, even though it's limited and incomplete, needs to get organized so that you can figure out who needs to make what kind of decision and when, whether that's you or somebody else. I don't want to lose the piece about making sure that you're gathering more information when it's possible. Yeah. And I would say that's one of the pieces that when I think about what do I really value in the team that I have around me right now, mm -hmm. the whole team at every level, including my peers and, and my boss, it's really valuable to have people around you who will question and ask, do we really need to do this yet? I am a quick to move person. And uh -huh. so I really value people who say, let's think about that just another 90 seconds here or another, <laughs> like, can we wait another three days before we have to do anything here? So I know we're running out of time. I want to ask one last question. When you think about yourself and you think about the leaders that you're working with, what should leaders be thinking and doing right now as we take on these increasingly complex challenges that we're facing today? Oh, I wish I knew that answer. <laughs> I think asking that question is a really good start and to asking that question to as many people as you can. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, 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 I solicit a lot of advice even when I don't look like I am is I'm really interested in other people's perspectives on something because usually if someone's doing something, there's a good reason even if I really disagree with a piece of it. And so I think understanding why people around you are doing what they're doing and taking that moment, especially when you're frustrated, to say, why is this like this? Why does that make sense to that person? That helps get a broader view of everything. And, and at this moment when we're in, it's really hard to listen, right? When we're all in our own homes and we talk to each other in viewfinders on Zoom and Teams and whatever else... It is incredibly hard to listen and learn through osmosis. And, and I think that I, d I don't have the answer to that, but I think that the smartest people around me are the people who have figured that out better than I have. I think that it's a great answer because asking good questions and listening is a really good start to understanding and dealing with these complex challenges. Like we were saying at the beginning, none of us have been here before and we're all trying to figure it out. And if we can just figure it out together, it'll make it better. I hope so. You're starting to see in the news this theme. There is no going back to how it was. There's just right. going to be the creation of a new way. And that creates a lot of opportunity, but it also creates a huge amount of uncertainty. And some people don't love that uncertainty. Mm -hmm. That's right. Kelly, this has been a really fun and interesting conversation. I just really appreciate your depth of experience in your personal and professional life. And I feel like you really brought a lot of those stories and the ways that you think to our conversation today. So thank you so much for sharing your life with us. Thank you, Winnie. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you and get to share a few of these things that matter so much to me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations 
with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly Jankowski, the Managing Director at MSL, and her encouragement, advice, and heartfelt lessons on how to never waste a crisis. To learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness, check out my website at www.winniedasilva.com or you can email me at winnie at winifred.org. I'd also love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Reach out and tell me what was helpful about today's episode or tell me about any other suggestions you have for my show. I look forward to sharing another transformative conversation with you next week.